And I have no family out here. Usually I had some kind of a tie that I could say, you know, wherever I went, I had somebody that I could kind of claim that was somewhat like a home. Um, when I went down to Arizona, I had a cousin down there. And so there was some kind of a tie-in. But I had none here. But you guys opened up your hearts, opened up your homes. And it is really just a joy. Um, I will say this. I tried sandboarding for the first time on Saturday, Friday. And I kind of feel like in some senses the internship is a little like sandboarding. See, I never skateboarded, I never snowboarded, so my balance is a little off. But you feel like you're going downhill, but you're not really moving all that fast. Because the sand just kind of gets in the way. But you know if you, leave, if, if you wipe out, it's going to hurt. Or, or it's going to make you feel a little bit. So, um, I don't know. Maybe it was a poor illustration. But it, the way it's been picking up, preparing for the 4th of July and for camp, I'm finding out just, just all that goes in and out behind a church. And it really is giving me a greater appreciation for my church, for churches around the nation, and for all the work that you guys put in here each and every day, even when I'm not here for the summer and the work that's been going on for the last 30-plus years. Um, I was trying to think about what it was that the Lord wanted me to share this morning and, you know, get the itinerary right or tonight, right at the beginning of the summer, and PK, you know, has it marked, and so then I circle it on my calendar for when I get the opportunity to preach. And I was praying about it at different times, going, Lord, what do you want me to teach? Um, you know, I'm not... I don't get a chance to kind of like go into a, a full series or anything, so how do I grab something that the Lord has been really working in my life to teach me maybe more of who he is? Um, when I was in Maryland, I had this uh, instance back with a young boy who was, I was going through the cashier's line at Walmart, I was probably 20, and this young kid was just standing there, well, I can still picture him, long curly hair, and he just looked bored. I mean, he looks so excited to be working at Walmart. And I went up, and I, I, I like, I'm one of those ones that don't like to go through the self-checkouts. I want to talk to the person. I don't like to not talk to people. Um, gets me in trouble sometimes. But it was one of those things where I just like, well, wonder what I can do to try to be an encouragement to him today. So I just said, hey, how's it going? And he goes, Oh, it's good. I don't know. You know, just kind of that non-committal, late teen, early 20s response. And I'm like, been a bad day? And he's like, man, I just can't wait to blow this town. I can't wait to get away from here. There's nothing to do. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is a town of about, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly what Salisbury is, but it's about 80,000 to 100,000 people. About a half hour, 45 minutes away is a resort town, Ocean City, Maryland, right on the coast. They have a million visitors every weekend. You have literally everything as a young boy in the world could want, right at his fingertips. And he sat there and goes, no, there's nothing to do. And that kind of caught me. I remember walking out of, the, out of Walmart going, well, that was encouraging, you know. And I, I didn't put a whole lot of stock into it until I was in Minnesota um, a couple years later, and I'm working at Subway. And I have a high school student. I'm in a small town, 12,000 people. We have no stoplights in our entire county. Um, the county next door to ours has more pigs than it has people. So it's just really booming with things to do, right? Um, but I remember working, and once again, this young you know, I'm working 35, 40 hours a week. And this young high schooler basically goes, man, there's nothing to do. Of course, my response is you could work more than six hours a week in the middle of the summer. Maybe you could find something to do. But it, it really immediately flashed back 
to the conversation I'd had in Walmart because I sat there and thought that in, in Maryland, there was a boy that literally had everything pretty close to where he was. Bowling, mini golf clubs, ball stadiums, soccer fields. I mean, just about anything you could want as a young boy or a young teen. And then we get to Minnesota, and, you know, we had a bowling alley. We had Frisbee golf. But when I'd get with my friends, we'd get an afternoon, and we'd never get to do everything that we wanted to do. We'd have, like, five hours, and we'd sit there and go, what can I cram in here? Well, let's go and do mini golf. We'll go shoot some hoops, then maybe go back, and we'll shoot some airsoft at each other. We'll really bright things, you know. But it came to mind, well, where was our focus? Because I was sitting there going... I give those opportunities to have some time where we get to chill and have some fun. And if it's bowling, it's bowling. If it's just sitting around making funny faces at each other, that's what we do. I mean, it's it was different. And that's where the Lord really started to work on me on the aspect of being content. So um, let's go ahead and pray. And then tonight we're going to look at Mark 10. Father, I do thank you for this time. I pray that you'll... Guide my thoughts and my words, that you'll empty me of myself, and that you will be glorified through this time, and that your word will be preached. I do thank you and praise you for this opportunity. In your precious son's name, amen. If you want to turn to Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at a young man that I kind of see on the same side as maybe a lot of those young people of today. And Mark chapter 10 is the story of the rich young ruler. And there's a couple of the other Gospels that touch on it. But I was just looking through Mark's version. And I'll go ahead and read it for you. Starting at verse 17 to verse 27. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled unto him and said, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beheld him, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up thy cross, and follow me. And he was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again, and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked upon them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. The timing of this passage, when it was given there, um, Jesus had just finished having the little children. In the, in the verses just previous before that was where the, the children were running around and Jesus was telling them, the disciples who were getting upset at the kids for making all this noise, that the master was too busy, that the children were that to allow the kids to come to him, basically having the childlike faith. And I, I, I was sitting there looking at this image because the ch- as a child, 
we don't need a whole lot of faith. If mom tells us the pan is hot, we don't usually question that. You know, mom pulls the pan out of the oven with the, you know, with dinner on the table or a pie, puts it on the table, and she goes, now, now, you know, Josh, don't go up and touch it. I'm not usually one that she could explain it's hot. I can see the oven, I can see the heat, but I wasn't usually one to just go up and go, oh, okay, and then grab it. I believed my mom, just the same in you know where we were going. I didn't sit there and question when we got in the car, you know. Well, where are we going? We're going to the store. Are you sure? Are you telling me the truth? I, I don't believe what you're saying. Maybe I need to check a few more sources. As adults, we get to this point where all of a sudden what we believe, it can be skewed. Even as Pastor Kay was talking about the news and the media, you could, depending on which news source you look at, depends on which angle you're going to get or whether or not it's truth or how is it truth. Sometimes I literally just throw my hands up in the air and go, you know what, I don't know what happened in this situation. You could put up an article, sometimes put it up on Facebook, um, depending on some kind of your perspective, you get a, what looks like a really interesting perspective of some situation, and somebody's got a rebuttal from another article that they read. And it gives us, as adults, we sit there and we start to question, well, what is truth? Well, Jesus had just stated in the previous ver- couple verses, come to me as a little child. Have childlike faith. The content- in the area of contentment, the young ruler was not content. He was everything that we probably, I'm looking at myself and even the late teens, and if you could look back to when you were your late teens, imagine, young, rich, and you're a ruler. So you had all of this power at your fingertips. Could do anything you wanted, go anywhere you wanted to, have all the resources to do whatever you wanted to do. Nothing was an option. You literally had everything, and then you were young, so you had your youth. Most people wait until retirement age to be able to see what they always imagined they'd be able to do. He had it all, but he wasn't content. You can see that. He wanted something else, something he didn't have. The only problem was the way he was looking. He was running to the Lord. I remember reading in one commentary that it says, in that culture, you didn't run. That was kind of a, it was just not, and especially for a ruler, It was not something typical. And so in that sense, it's like, okay, so he's doing something that's not normal for that culture because he was desiring something that he didn't have. He desired eternal life, but as you look in the passage, he wanted it his way. He didn't want it God's. How do we show our discontent? We have the same thing. Is it self-focus? We have covetous thoughts, really desiring that job or that car or that situation? Are we depressed? Do we allow ourselves to get into the woe-is-me mentality? Are we short-tempered when somebody messes with our plans? One of my friends at uh, the college, he's really been teaching me this the last couple weeks or last couple months right before the end of the semester. And he'd joke and say, blessed are the flexible. It's one of the beatitudes that wasn't mentioned. (laughs) But it's so true because... If you're flexible, it it gives a lot more to the aspect that you're not in control. Because what are we truly in control of? What are we honestly in control of in our lives? Can we control what the person next to us is doing? Can we control what tomorrow is going to bring? See, the fact is, is we can't. And, And so do we get discouraged then? I can't control anything. Why bother? Why shouldn't I just stop? I mean, for me growing up, that was a really tough question. You can ask my mom. She will tell you in big capital letters. Yeah, I did not, I wanted control. I mean, even down to the remote control. I mean, if it came to movie time, I had the remote. 
It didn't matter that it was a DVD that I just hit play. I still had to have the control. How do we show it? And um, then label that passage. And I think it's in Matthew. It says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought of your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is it more than... uh, Is life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. How much better are are they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in his all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Wherefore, if God clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow shall be cast into the oven, shall he not so much more clothe thee, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought at saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought, therefore, for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We see that the world has all these things to worry about. Food, clothing. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't be looking for the future, but is it something that we need to worry about? Do we need to make our decisions based, whether it's an opportunity to serve or to give, and instead go, but I need this? I mean, we don't know the opportunities, whether it's to feed and give a meal to someone who's sick in, that, in the church or to do a little work on the side. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am amazed. I was very much amazed coming here to this church on how many people show up for the work days each week, every other week. It is a joy. I mean, we didn't have many work days. In my small church, we have 60 people. So we have a work day once every six months. It's an older church that's, I mean, fairly well established, the building is. There's not a lot of upkeep that needs to be done on the grounds. But still, to see so many faithful that serve in so many different ways, whether that's in the hospitality, you know, I'm count almost a day, probably a couple times a week goes by and somebody's knocking on my door, you know, whether it's Miss Carol Waterfield or Mr. Mike Larson, whether it's to ask a simple question or just see if I'm in. I mean, somebody's here, whether it's maintaining the grounds. It, it's just such a joy to see the way that God is using our talents for his glory. And we, we, so we see that the world has all those things to focus on, looking at the rich young ruler. If we know the Lord has promised to take care of our needs, he has the perfect plan. Pastor Nathan and I, when we went to visit a couple people a couple weeks ago, had the discussion on pain. What is the purpose for pain? I mean, I had a... Just last week, actually, I got a news that one of my friends in Minnesota, his younger brother, was killed in a motorcycle accident. Um, 20 years old. He'd just gotten the bike the week before. As far as I know, though, he didn't know the Lord, and neither does my friend. And that is a real challenge to me, because I sit there and think, that young man worked for me for six months at Subway while I was the manager there. I don't have an opportunity to share the gospel with him anymore. It's gone. It's gone. I've lost my chance. And that was a big eye-opener for me. Because Blake has been a good friend of mine. 
And so I called him earlier this week, and we talked for a bit to see how he was doing. But that's challenging me. I want to get back, and I want to be able to sit down and have a one-to-one with Blake before it's too late. Blake was there for me as when my, uh, when my niece passed away. He's been there for me in a lot of ways, been a really good friend to me. But have I been a good friend back? Because what have I been focused on? Paul writes in Philippians 4, 11 through 12, not to see, speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So then it brought me to another thought. Why are we not content? If we have Jesus Christ in our lives, if he has made a change in our lives, then why are we not content? Why do we want more? And that brought me to this thought. Do we trust? Do we really know how to trust God? Look at the rich young ruler. If you look at his, he comes and he goes to the Lord. He knew who he was. He calls him master, which was a, 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 a level of respect for coming from a ruler to somebody who a lot of people did not see as a ruler. He was just the carpenter's son. But he goes up and says, good master. He, quote unquote, knew who he was. But then when Jesus told him what to do, to go sell everything that you have and follow me, did he follow? He didn't trust. So he wasn't content, but it wasn't enough to go and to trust. So how do we know that we don't really trust? For me, it's usually shown in different areas, like wanting to control, getting really frustrated when things maybe don't go my way or my thought, lack of patience, have a little harder time maybe bending when I should be flexible. Why don't we trust God? I was thinking, looking at the life of Abraham in Genesis um, 15.6. It says all, all he had was the spoken word of God. It says God spoke and he did. We have God's word right in front of us. All 66 bi- books of the Bible. Moses or uh, Abraham didn't have anything like that. And yet God just spoke and he did it. How often do we sit there and read the word and God speaks to us and we don't do anything? And we just walk away and we get busy. And we lose trust and lose focus on who God is. Prophet Isaiah answered those questions. The children of Israel were questioning in captivity, where is God? Why has God done this to us? Has God forgotten us? And then Isaiah answered that in, in uh, Isaiah 40, 28 to 30. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of heaven and earth, he fainteth not, he's not weary. There is no searching for his level of understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You know, this book, the Bible, it does keep us from sin. But sin can also keep us from the Bible. And it's not always the sin of commission, the sins that we do. But sometimes it's the sin of omission, the sins that we, because of things that we don't do. Whether it is spending time daily, ourselves, getting to know the God of creation, our Heavenly Father. 
I know it, it's very easy, especially in the middle of a school semester, that something gets left behind. And as sad as it is to say, sometimes it's, you know, you get that extra half hour of sleep instead of getting time with the Lord. And that's not a good way to start my day. I can tell you what, almost any day that doesn't end well usually didn't begin well. David, in Psalm 139, was praising God for his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. But it was also a plea for God to expose sin. Psalm 139 is one of my favorites. All of it, to me, it just it's just such an encouragement. But even the first, ver- first five verses say, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting, my uprising, when I sit down, when I stand up. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Even before I've even thought them, you know what I'm going to think. And you know the thoughts that nobody else will ever know. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, O Lord, but thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Sometimes lack of trust is because of sin. Because sin has blinded us has separated us because God is a holy God because of the sin in our lives. Even after becoming a Christian, we can still allow sin to sever and push our relationship with the Lord away. The positive, though, there's still, even as Pastor Kaminsky and Pastor Nathan have both been encouraging as we've been going going through Job, not always, though, is it sin that is um, causing us to have strife in our lives. But sometimes it's God testing us and encouraging us. And we're still supposed to trust. In all situations, God will be glorified. In the two years that I've been gone, I have lost three family members. I've lost an uncle, a niece, and my grandmother just a week before I came up here. You know, I I think in the previous ten years, I probably lost... Two, both my grandparents. The Lord has really been trying to get a hold of my attention, and I'm kind of stubborn-headed sometimes. But it's been a joy to see how he's worked through all of these, because the first one, when my uncle died, I had broken my phone the day before he happened. I find out on Facebook. I have to run around the dorm trying to catch people so I can call my mom to find out what happened. When my niece had her accident, I get a phone call from my sister distraught and in tears, and I'm in Chandler, Arizona, 2,500 miles away that my niece slipped in the bathtub. My grandma, we knew she was going, and we'd had time to prepare for her. But I got the news when my sister's on a Grand Canyon tour. She's down in the valley without cell service, and I get news that my grandma had two strokes, and they didn't think she was going to make it through the weekend. You know, the hardest part out of that was how do I tell my sister? I'm like, she's gone down. She's having a time of her life. It's a great time to be able to see God's creation. And if grandma dies, guess who gets to be the one to share the news? And you know, God, though, has always been there for me. And he's always, in in that case, my grandma, she went on kicking for another about three or four weeks. I love my grandma, so I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But she, she loved the Lord. The morning after the the uh, after her uh, stroke, I think it was, or one of those days, my aunt went in to see her, and she was pointing up to the ceiling, going, "I'm going home soon," and she was going to be able to see her husband who had died 
almost 10 years earlier. And her mom. So she was excited. She was excited to see her Savior. So in that case, there was joy in that homecoming. And that's kind of what I had. I, I did it as with, with Kara when we got news. His grandma went home. She's not in pain. She's not suffering. She's not having a hard time breathing. She's home. Sometimes we don't, why do we not trust, so why do we not trust God in the way that we should? Why did the rich young ruler not trust God the way that he should? Because he wanted it his way. And do we not always have that same idea that we have our plan, we have our life, we have our goals? We have, I have mine. Lord willing, I'd like to graduate. Um, that's still down the road. Yes, I'm between my junior and senior year. I have 40 credits left. Little caveat to answer his question that he answered earlier. So I'm somewhere in the middle between my junior and senior year. But that's on my plan. You know, when I was 21 before, I never thought I was leaving Maryland. I never thought there was any, there was any state other than Maryland. Boy, was I wrong. I love Maryland and I love the people, but boy, was I glad to leave it, actually. There's so many other beautiful places in this country, in this world, and there's so many wonderful people to meet. Going to Minnesota has its beauty. Arizona has its, it's gorgeous. As much as I complain about it being hot, seeing saguaro cactus, palm trees, desert, just the beauty of a sunset over the desert. There's sunsets everywhere, and I've yet to get tired of seeing them. And even up here. So why do we not trust? Maybe it's because we don't know God. So first, we're not content because we're not trusting, and we're not trusting because we don't know. Now, of course, there's, how, how did the rich and young ruler not know God? Well, he saw him as a religious figure, that I've done all of these, I've done your laws, so I should be good, right? Well, he did not know who God was. The purpose of the law is to show us that we can't make it. The purpose of the law is to show us that we are a sinner. And his response was, well, the purpose of the law is to show me that I'm a pretty good person and I should be okay. God's purpose of the law, there are two ways that we may not know God. First off, we may not be saved. Now, speaking to a Sunday night audience, I'm usually pretty safe in saying that everyone's here as a Christian, but I'd also be a fool to assume that everybody is. Because God's word and God is the one who knows all the hearts. Um, right before, actually my, my fall semester, there was a young man, or an older man who got um, cancer and passed away in our church. Wonderful man. His wife, prayer warrior to the, to the hill. Um, she was always encouraging us in the jail, praying for us. He got saved. He was active in that church for 20-some years, and he got saved about two months before he died. Because he reached a point, and that's what Lord had to use to get his attention was cancer. That he was not, because then he started to question it. You know, it doesn't do any good to sit in a church pew. If you don't know Christ, I can go live in my mom's garage for the rest of my life, and I'm never going to be a car. I might start smelling like one, but... You know, the fact of the matter is, is sitting in a church pew, doing good deeds, the rich man ruler, he had it all. He had everything. He did it. And that didn't save him. In fact, all it did was, in a sense, condemned him more. But then the other way is just we're not building our relationship. Our relationship with the Lord, our Savior, our Father. If we're not spending time with him each and every day, meditating on his word, singing hymns, look at the Psalms. The psalmist, David, was always writing, it seems, 
at least, and I'm sure we probably didn't get all of his writings, but just the encouragement at any time. Uh, I think, was it PK you mentioned, was it even this morning, just the aspect of, you know, there's a psalm for just about everything. I think it was when we were sitting up in orchestra talking about the aspect that there's a psalm for everything that you're going through. It brings out the, um, the reality of human emotion. The psalmist did a wonderful job of really portraying as a human because they were humans. I know many times we get that idea, well, Paul, I could never be Paul. He was some super Christian. You know, I, was, I think it's in Galatians. I was just reading this week. And it said um, when Paul first got saved, he didn't go directly to the church, to the churches. He went away, he went away for three years. He didn't, we have to be building our relationship with the Lord. Before we can minister to somebody else, we have to be on the right page with God. Now, we can do a lot of good things, but apart from God, our good deeds are nothing. So just, uh, um, if we're not building our relationship with the Lord, I use it sometimes, some of the people, because I, most of the people that I talk to are in a jail cell. That's usually where I've, gotten my experience in preaching. So then it's pretty obvious. You have people in there that can't stay out of the bars, that are high on this, that, and the other thing. So they generally know they're a sinner. That's not usually a hard question to put at them. Usually their thing is, is, well, God doesn't want me to have fun. My pastor and I laugh at, laugh at that one. We go, yes, define fun. I get to leave here in 20 minutes and go home and have a home-cooked dinner and stop at McDonald's and pick up a red box and go relax at home. You get whatever they bring on a tray, and if you obey the guards, you might get some TV time. Explain to me how you think God's not letting you have fun? Because why you're in here is because you were doing things that you thought was fun, and now you're paying the consequence. We, so I, I look at it as many Christians too often are using salvation as a get-out-of-jail-free card, a get-out-of-hell card like you have in Monopoly, that you, you get to hold on to this. It doesn't really matter. Nobody has to know I have it until all of a sudden something then doesn't work, and then I can play my card, and I'll be good. Or in the case of I die, I'm good. My end is covered, but I can live the way I want to. You know, we can't eat three meals a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and be physically okay. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have a hard time going four or five hours without eating or munching on something. If you think of your body on the physical sense, you can't go long times without eating. How do you expect to build your relationship with the Lord if you go long times without spending time in God's Word? If we're not spending time praying memorizing his word, encouraging each other in the word, thinking through what has God been teaching you, whether it's just mulling over a small verse that you've been, that you read in a devotional, something that the Lord used that day to really just show you who he is and just keep focusing on that and sharing with others what you've learned. It's, it's the same kind of idea of just sitting there and maybe just eating a yogurt Sunday morning going, oh, that's good put together a little ham sandwich for Sunday night, maybe some french fries on Wednesday, and I'll be good for the rest of the week. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. I guarantee you, we'd all be in a world of hurt 
and we'd all be hangry. But is that not what happens on our spiritual lives, though? That we do get spiritually angry, spiritually hungry, and then people, and then it goes all the way back down that line. From trust back to contentment. Because if you don't have all of those precursors, how do you expect to truly be content? Relationships require time and effort. For every married individual in this room, or soon to be, or wanting to be, I guarantee you, you didn't just go up to some random person on the street, say, hey, let's get married, and then not talk to each other for the rest of your life. If you did, I really want to hear that story. But it required time, thoughts, constantly thinking, what do they want? Learning that individual, what do they like? What excites them? What can I do to please them? What's their favorite food? What's their favorite color? It requires time. And yet we think our relationship with the Lord is something we can just nurture on Sunday mornings. Or Sunday night. And that's it. We're good for the week. Think about that most important person in your life and only talk to them for 20 minutes on a Sunday, maybe five minutes on a Wednesday. Nothing else. Nothing else for the rest of the week. Do you really think your relationship is going to grow? Or do you think it's going to diminish? See, the fact of the matter is you don't get stagnant in your relationship with the Lord. Your relationship is either growing or it's down. It's kind of like one of those, I don't know, like a heart monitor or something. It's either going up or down. I'm not sure if that's a good image. But there is no stagnant. At the end of the time, the young ruler left the presence of the Lord and he was sad. One commentary pointed out, it says this is the only time in the Gospels when someone called to follow Jesus did not do so. It was also the only time when someone is said to have gone away from his presence sad. Why was that? Because first, he didn't know who God was. Whether that's salvation or whether that is just building his relationship if he, with the Lord. And he didn't trust him. And so in that sense, he went away and he was discontent. So how about us? Do we have a saving relationship with the Lord? If we do, are we growing closer to the Lord? Are we spending time with him in prayer and in his word? Are we doing, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You want to know truth? You have to know what the truth is so you can know when a lie comes. I worked in a bank for a year. You know, we didn't, they didn't give us all the counterfeit money so we could decide what was good and what was bad. We spent all this time working with the real dollar bill so when a fake one came across the line, we go, hey, this doesn't feel right. Something's not right here. You know, if you sit there and you are constantly playing with truth and false, truth and false, when something false comes along, you're going to sit there and go, wait, was this true or was this false? When did I last feel this? Where did I find this? Where was it? The best way to know the truth and to know what is false is to know the truth. I was doing some yard work the first time I was here. And uh, I don't like snakes. Minnesota doesn't have a whole lot. I was in Minnesota for four years, only saw three. I saw two the first workday I was here. I was about to say, that's my quota. I'm done. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about it. I was turning over dirt, getting ready. I was trying to do some weed whacking, and there's all these weeds everywhere, just all these tall weeds, and we're trying to cut through it. You know, the ground looks good. 
It looks clean. It doesn't look too bad. Maybe it could have some hills, but we can figure those out. Do you know until you get rid of the weeds, that's when you see the snake under the ground. Do you know until you can clear out the untruth, that's where you see where Satan's lying underneath something. That just really brought to mind, if you're keeping your yard clean, if you're building a relationship with the Lord, when something untruth comes down the pike, whether it is a teaching or it is a, a false teacher, somebody that's coming in trying to sway you and tell you things that maybe the Bible doesn't say, you know, if you don't know what the Bible says, how are you going to tell them that it doesn't say that? If you don't know what your yard looks like, how are you going to know if there's a snake under the grass? Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Are we praying, as the psalmist did in Psalm, one, in, uh, Psalm 51, to restore unto me the joy of thy salvation? Are we, as Job prayed in the mornings, when he was praying there in chapter 1, it talked and it says, And so in the mornings of the feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and he rose up early in the morning. And he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in, my heart, in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Are we beginning each day asking God to renew our hearts? To restore our joy? And we was continually seeking the Lord's face. Familiar verse, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If, contingency, my people, in this case for us, it's our Christians, for him he was talking to the Jews, humble themselves. That's a tough one. Pray, asking God for those directions. And then seek my face, continually turn toward the Lord and turn away from sin. Then, and only then, Will he forgive our land, forgive their sin and heal their land? Maybe we know in God, we are knowing God, but how is our trust? Are we struggling maybe in the area of knowing his best and perfect control in our lives? Maybe that's not an area of struggle either. So lastly, then, are we content? If we know God and we are trusting him, then contentment should be right on our tongues. We don't have to have all the answers, but we do know that, that God is the one completely control of everything and every situation. And we trust in his hand, then it will be easier to be content in the situations we find ourselves. It's safe to say each one of us are in one of those categories. We're unsaved. We're saved and not growing. We're having issues with trusting or having issues with content. If not, then tomorrow will be a new day. So which are you? For me, each one, it varies on the day and the situation, in all honesty, onto where it is that I'm feeling my level of trust or my level of contentment. There are always areas, though, that we can grow closer to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for your word tonight, and I praise you for the opportunity that I was able to share it. I ask that you would bless the rest of this week and for the rest of this evening. In your precious son's name, amen.